Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another edition of the Let's Go Eat Show. I'm Bill Allred, your host. Today, I sat down at Poplar Street Pub. Hadn't been to Poplar Street for a while, and uh, uh, had a, oh, man, did I have a good Cobb salad there. I, you know I'm a salad aficionado. I'm salad crazy is what I am. Uh, I love a good salad. I love a, a Caesar salad. I love a, a Cobb salad, a chop salad. Get away. I love a chop salad. Uh, and I love the Cobb salad. Oh, a salad nassois? Mm, that's just a fancy name for a kind of a, a fancy French name for a kind of a tuna salad. I love that too. But I had a Cobb salad at the, uh, at, at Poplar Street. And, uh, it was very nice when I was, uh, leaving Poplar Street. Uh, the, uh, the, the waiter, uh, the bartender said, uh, did you like the cob? And I said, yes, I did very much. And he said, that's great because the chef said uh, he was excited to prepare it. He said, I listen to uh, Bill Allred's show every morning, uh, the Radio from Hell show. So I was really excited to prepare the cob salad for him. Well, chef at Poplar Street, you did a great job. Um, and uh, anyway, sat down at Poplar Street uh, pub with a guy I had only recently met. I'd heard of, heard about him and uh, didn't know much about him. His name is Paul Duane. Uh, Paul Duane is a um, photographer, he's a uh, comedian, stand-up comedian, and he's a, he, he does a podcast, he does some radio stuff around town, and uh, he does live uh, shows, stage shows that are, that are kind of interview shows. I met Paul when uh, uh, I'd heard of him, he did, he's invited me to be on his live stage show before, and I'd, I hadn't had, haven't done it before. Uh, hadn't had the chance to do it, but uh, so I'd heard of him, but I'd never met him until a few weeks ago when I was invited to do that um, uh, Last Supper photograph that uh, was put together with a, a bunch of the badasses of Salt Lake and uh, by Cat Palmer, who was a previous guest here on the Let's Go Eat show. And uh, that's the first time I met Paul. And Paul was wearing a, a nice suit coat and a, a bow tie and uh, high heels and uh, fishnet stockings. And um, he cut a very striking figure. And uh, Paul and I had a long conversation that day, and I found him to be a very engaging conversationalist. And so we uh, sat down and had a conversation here, the Let's Go Eat show. He's an interesting fellow. Um, there's a part of this interview uh, toward the end that I, that I find kind of embarrassing. And I thought about cutting it out, where we talk about uh, being badasses in Salt Lake and where, what that means, and 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 I don't really consider my well. See now, I'm I'm not going to give it away. You'll just have to listen to the whole damn interview or fast forward to it. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, we sat down, we we talked, we ate. Uh, uh, my son Dylan was there and produced the show, and we had a nice time. It was interesting to meet Paul. Had a good conversation. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. So here it is, Paul Duane on the Let's Go Eat show. Yeah, so uh, just getting getting into the swing of things today. Just to, so you're just getting back from uh, a long night of sex. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we won't. I won't ask you. The, <laughs> I won't ask you the details of that, Paul Duane. But uh, is that your real name? Yeah. Paul Duane. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a. It's, it's my middle name. Ah. Uh, Dwayne, Dwayne is my not not many people know my last name because it's just so fucking boring. 
This is like Jones, or? real close to that. Yeah, yeah, really close. And uh, it was one of those things where I, um, when I, I, I've made my career in photography for the past twelve years. And when I made the decision to leave the studio I was at and kind of branch out on my own, I, uh, I needed something a little more easy to remember. Mm-hmm. And um, my my existing last name is shared by not only another photographer in Provo, but a couple of criminals around the state, and uh, <laughs> it's just some other people. And That's just, great yeah. because Paul Dwayne is a really theatrical name somehow i mean it's yeah. just got a real good showbiz ring to it i don't know <laughs> what it's 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 good uh so anyway it's uh, the let's go eat show and uh, paul Dwayne is our guest uh we're recording this at poplar street pub which is on um second west and i don't know the exact address it's about 220 south but you come here a lot yeah this they, was they this was sponsor your... my show so you, I, I, I used, used to, to reeling off the uh yeah yeah they, we did a little sponsorship for a while so i your show, the Paul Dwayne show. Yeah, I guess I, my first question is, where the fuck did you come from, and how, <laughs> and how did how did uh, how did the birth of Paul Dwayne happen? Because Paul the, Paul Dwayne is diff, is a is a different creation than whoever you were when you first were born on this earth and grew up somewhere. Right. It was a rebirth of some sort. I figure. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's probably fair. Um, so, I, you know, born and raised in Logan, Utah, the conventional Utah Mormon story. You know, born of uh, you know goodly parents, <laughs> parents returned missionaries, both of them, both grand sets grandparents returned missionaries. That was my family culture. I, I like to consider myself an ethnic Mormon mm-hmm. and uh, Cash County boy. Yep, yep. W- grew up d- liking what? You know, I, music. Music is really my first love in life. Mm-hmm. And um, that that was the first time I ever discovered anything I was really good at. And I in, in middle school I started playing the trumpet, and then that evolved into I, I continued playing that. Had a music scholarship at Utah State, played in the jazz band up there, and uh, but I also picked up the bass and have played in a lot of bands over the years and uh, had, had some fun with that. Logan's a kind of a weird town. Yeah, isn't it's it? really strange. I mean, it's a kind of a town where if you are in now, you grew up and you you really believed the Mormon. Oh, yeah. I was very genuine about it. Yeah. Yeah. Served a mission. Because you went was, on a mission. I did, yeah. Where'd you go? Philadelphia. Uh, and what year? What years were you there? I was there in 95 to 97. So so you, you were, and were you still pretty strong believer then? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was very intentional in going on my mission. I was excited to be there. Uh, it, it was kind mm-hmm. of a weird experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had no baptisms. My mission was so weird because I was I was in all the leadership positions of the mission, which were supposedly for the most exemplary missionaries, and yet on paper I was the biggest failure. Because no bap no baptisms. Why? Well, I've had a few years to think about that now. <laughs> were you just shitty at get, spreading the word, or I can't, apparently, yeah. I mean, and did you try really hard? Oh, real hard. Yeah, I did all the work. I was really obedient to all the rules. You know. Uh, all, all those things. I, I, I never, you know, my favorite band in the world, Rush, came out with a new record while I was out there. And I got the album for Christmas, and I put it in my CD player, and I left the CD player open, and I took a picture of it. Just It was just like the worst dick tease, you know, the musical tease. And, and I didn't, didn't push play. You didn't listen to I it because didn't push play. You, you were going to wait till you were off your mission. Mm-hmm. And you did wait. I did. 
You, the, the Lord should have given you one baptism right, for that. Right? He should have. Bill, this is what I'm saying. This is exactly what I'm saying. I mean, this is how insanely dedicated I was to that whole situation. And nothing, I, and I got no results. It was yeah. a wildly confusing experience. So how did you get into, how did you get into the leadership of the mission, the, or your, uh, what do you call it, district? Honestly, uh, during my first interview with my mission president, he just said, you know, uh, you've got to, He's like, I, I like you. You've got a good spirit. You're going to be a leader in our mission. I can just tell, you know. And I just, oh, okay, well, whatever, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. I just just did the work, and just, yeah, and the other missionaries uh, liked you, and yeah, uh, I got yeah. along with people, yeah. and yeah, it's fine, you yeah. know. Um, I, I think looking back on it, I, what I realize now is that just one of the core things about who I am, I am completely uninterested in selling anybody on anything. Completely uninterested in it. I, I feel like we're all grown-ups here. If there's something you want, you'll go get it, you know? And, and, and so my feeling about, you know, when you, when you become a missionary, you go through this whole process of basically sales training at the Missionary Training yeah. Center. They call it the commitment pattern. It's this whole thing about how to, how to introduce an idea to somebody, how to get them interested in it, how to get their feet wet in it, how to hold them to it, how to then get social pressure into, you know, like uh, in, in, into the mix so that well, they it's have... A, it's a sales plan. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's excellent. And there's no wonder that so many companies come to Utah to recruit door-to-door salespeople. <laughs> really, I mean, yeah. they've got the skill set down. Um, as, as it turns out, you know, my approach on my mission was basically, um, you know, I, I had the, the Book of Mormon was important to me for my own reasons, and I would I'd tell people about it, and I would uh, give them a copy and just essentially say, so, uh, yeah, if you want to talk any more about it, here's my number. Give me a call. See you later. Uh, I had a very hands-off approach because yeah. my, my feeling was if it's true and if you're a truth seeker, you're going to open this thing and you're going to read it and you're going to think, holy shit, i got to talk to that Elder Jensen guy right now. Oh, Jensen. Yeah. Paul Dwayne Jensen. <laughs> Paul Dwayne Jensen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, see why I don't hey, use it? Jensen. <laughs> right? Paul Dwayne Jensen. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that, as it turns out, that's not a real uh, powerful way to convert people to Mormonism. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have to drag them in. Pretty much. Yeah. And I'm not into that. Yeah. So uh, let's go back. Uh, growing up in Logan. Yeah. Uh, a good student? No. No? No. Mediocre. I, I, I was that kid that... Uh, well, you know, Ferris Bueller was my role model in high school, and um, I mean, good, yeah. good, good student in the sense of uh, all the all the teachers and administrators liked me. I was on stage crew in high school, which meant I had keys to the whole school, and I did whatever the fuck I wanted. Got the keys to the auditorium right here. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. I got the keys to the auditorium. Mm-hmm. I and, was uh, I was an actor, and I always kind of hated you, dicks. <laughs> you stage Why? crew dicks. Why did you hate us? Well, because 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 the stage crew guys always. New, felt, it, it was always like they didn't have the talent at that point to be on the stage. <laughs> right. So they tried to say, well, I got the power to keep you off the stage if I want. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. I control the spotlight, yeah. motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I got along okay with them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, I mean, my, my school career was, um, I mean, I was definitely bright enough to be a great student, but I just fucking hated homework. You know, I just don't do well in the homework sports? department. No, I didn't play any sports. I mean, I, w- I was a band geek. You know, I'd eat my lunch in the band room, mm-hmm. you know, with my girlfriend that I ended up marrying later. And uh, a couple of my, you know. You married your high school sweetheart? My seventh grade crush, Bill. No kidding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so did you, uh, did you have sex before you went on your mission? Nope. Good boy. Uh, <laughs> you one of the dumbest mistakes well, I've no, ever made. No, I, I should have done it. No, I no, should've. no, no, no. <laughs> don't, re- don't look back at that kind of stuff with regret, ever. 
I w- yeah. That's my philosophy. Okay. Okay. You w- should never look back at that kind of stuff with regret. Uh, I don't think you should look back at most of your life with regret. Uh, it, because it, uh, if you're if you're relatively happy with who you are today, it's because of that. All of it informs who you are. Sure. So, um, so you go on your mission. You hadn't gone to college yet. No, I started in school before my mission. Up I at was, yeah, up at up uh, Utah U- State. Utah State, mm-hmm. majoring in music. Okay. Come back from your mission. Yep. Come back. Have and, sex uh, <laughs> as soon as possible. Get married. As soon, as soon as I got my permission slip from my bishop. Yep. Got uh, married immediately. Yeah. Pretty much six months. Yeah. I mean, she was there at the airport when I got home with my family, oh, and she uh, waited for you. Uh, it wasn't. It was one of those things where we broke up before my mission, and and there was no real uh, intention that we would that was going to be a thing. But we we kind of wrote a little bit, and she just happened to be there when I get when I got home. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah with yeah. your big throbbing. All that, all that missionary energy. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's crazy how that'll inform your thinking. Uh, Got married uh, pretty quick and Mm -hmm. went back to school. Yeah, yeah. Got into schools. Got back into playing music. Just jumped into everything. Full time work. Full time. Everything. What did, what, uh, what did you work at? Just anything? And it, you know, I, I actually was a. Uh, I worked for Convergis for a few years, right? In the, my early marriage, mm-hmm. I was a supervisor in this. You know, in the collections department for Sprint PCS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. So you know, when people wouldn't pay their bill, they had to talk to my people. I remember so, that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and so and you and you uh, did you finish college? No, actually, no. I I I changed my path. I got into psychology, and um, I ended up. Uh, Kind of, kind of a, a weird experience. I, I have this thing that happens in my life where sometimes I'll encounter a person or a thing, and I will just detest them initially, mm-hmm. profoundly. I had this professor up there named Dr. Carl Cheney, and he taught a class called um, Intro to Behavior Analysis. And this is where you learn about B.F. Skinner, John Watson. You know, you train rats to do cool Behaviorists. things. Yeah, all, all yeah. that. Mm-hmm. And um, the, and that was a required class for my major. And so. The first day of class, he gets up there and launches into this tirade against the church. And I was just filled with righteous indignation. I'm going to prove you wrong, you know. And mm-hmm. I'd sit through class for a couple of days and just plan my, you know, my attack on this guy to, you know, take him down ideologically. And I'd just get so frustrated, I'd end up kind of skipping class here and there and get kind of far behind and then just have to drop the course. Mm-hmm. Next semester comes along. I have to take the course. It's required. So I re-enroll thinking hopefully there's a different teacher. It's him again. He's the only one that teaches it. He gets up there first day, same tirade. Same, same tirade. Same thing. Against the LDS church. Yep. In and Logan. In Logan, yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, offends me in all the same ways. And I, with a little more determination, I stick into that class. And then a couple weeks in, I just I just can't deal with it. So I drop, thinking, I, I don't know what I'm going to do, but uh, I, I, this is just not working for me. And summer semester comes around, and... Actually, I may have done this two more times. I, I lost count. <laughs> yeah. So there was probably a third iteration of this. And finally, it's like, I have to fucking take this class. Somehow, I just have to power through this. I don't know what I'm going to do. but And I'll never forget. It was, a, it was a June, a beautiful June day up at Utah State. And I walk into class, summer semester. Fucking Carl Cheney's teaching the class again. I know all of his lines. Mm. Sit down. Did he at any point go, oh, Mr. Jensen, it's you again? Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> you never tried. I, you'd think by the third time you'd just not go the first day of class. Mm-hmm. Y- you would think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway. But I'm weird. I'm in, I don't yeah, know, I in the weird self-abuse, right. I guess. You know. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, I, I go and sit down, and he starts into the same tirade. 
and I, I'm just naming all the shots he's called. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know them all. And then for it was like this light bulb came on, and all of a sudden it was like the clouds parted and the angels were singing, and I all of a sudden I understood why he was doing what he was doing, and I got that what he he wasn't necessarily launching an attack on the LDS Church. He was trying to get a bunch of people who were faith oriented in their mind to be able to think in terms of the scientific method. He was trying to break people of the habit of, you know, as a religious person, you you come up with a conclusion, you have your conclusion, mm-hmm. and then you just try to find evidence that fits it. Yeah. Well, that's fucked. That doesn't work. You yeah. can't do that. Yeah, yeah. And so he was just trying to teach us basic science mm-hmm. to be able to just look at evidence and form conclusions based on where evidence is pointing. Yeah. That's all he was trying to do. Mm-hmm. And I got it. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, okay, I can roll with this. Okay, I got you. I see why you're doing that. And I ended up acing the class, and, I, and uh, he ended up inviting me to be his teaching assistant the next year, which I was just a junior at the time, normally reserved, reserved just for graduate students. I had my own office. I was running the rat lab, the pigeon lab, writing exams, teaching class. Like, I was his right-hand man mm-hmm. after that point. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, so that was that. And I had a kind of a, a brilliant career in academic psychology all lined up. All the pins were lined up. What happened? I had my crisis of faith, Bill. And that that caused you to lose your uh, uh, lose your interest in school as well. Uh, I took a semester off. I took a semester off because my uh, my wife at the time said, and I quote, "You stop asking these questions, or we're getting a divorce." Because mm, she she had no crisis of faith. I contend that she has one that she just hasn't <laughs> been honest enough to really address. Uh, you had but, kids at this time? Yeah, yeah, two daughters. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I have this beautiful little family I don't want to lose, and it was already kind of a rough marriage. And and uh, I, I saw that I, I, I was so I, – I felt like it was really important for me to get my head on straight about um, where – how I was evaluating just – the nature of knowledge itself, you know, all of a sudden I had some real questions about my, my relationship to, to faith and to academia and, and, and all that. And I, I wanted to approach my career with some consistency, some intellectual honesty. And so I just felt like I'm going to take a semester off. I'm going to sort this out a little bit. I'll be back. Mm-hmm. Never made it back. Just never did. No, no. I had a few detours that came along and, uh, that was that. Yeah. So, you know, in a parallel universe, I'm Dr. Jensen and some, Fucking university, someplace <laughs> like teaching college freshmen. Can you still see that? I mean, can you see that somewhere? That that line and uh, that Paul Duane. Uh, that might have not been a bad thing. Oh, it would have been good. Yeah, 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 yeah. That would have been a good path. Are, are uh, you? Are you? A, I mean, you're. Uh, could it have been a happy man doing that? Very much. Yeah. How old are your daughters now? They are thirteen. And 16. And they're where? Up in Logan. In Logan. Yeah, the rest of the family's up there. Yeah. Uh, uh, your, your parents still up mm-hmm. there? Yeah, parents up there, brothers up there. They're all, they're all up there. How, have they, uh, uh, how, how do they all handle who Paul Duane is now? Uh, I, or do they know who Paul Duane is now? You know, I, I think not fully. Um, I, to, honestly, uh, th- this is kind of a weird thing. I mean... You know, my, my relationship with my kids is strained at the moment. You know, um, thank you. Oh, lunch this is, uh, we got Poplar Street food here. Oh, yeah. And now, please, this is, this is called the Let's Go Eat show. Yeah. Now, if you, uh, please 
can you just can you eat while you talk? Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, good. Yeah. No, that's a good thing. <laughs> On this show, I, listen, I eat while I talk. Good, good. Uh, see, uh, see, like I'm going to take a French fry. I'm going to let's dip do it. it. Dip it in Inaugural the sauce. fry. All right, here we go. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. just going to dip it in the mm-hmm. sauce while mm-hmm. we're done. I'm going to go like, I and we're going to con- continue our conversation. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, this is the way we do it. <laughs> I love it. So yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's been tough on my parents. Thanks, you know, I'll never forget um, when my mom, right before she found out that I had let go of faith in general, uh, she she came up to me one night because my brother and sister had also let go of the church, and she she took my arm and she's like, "You are my last hope." And it just broke my heart because uh-huh. I had already let go in my heart, like in a really deep fundamental way. I was never coming back, and uh, I just thought, "Shit." This is going to be real tough to break this to you at some point. Mm. And, but, you know, my parents, I have to say, I just spent a week with my family in, in Arizona 24-7. And um, I, just, I was day drinking around my mom and dad. And really? They were, yeah. And they were so cool about it. Like, really? not a word. They didn't say, Paul, I think you're an alcoholic. Because <laughs> that's what I would have said. And I, right? and I drink. Right. Yeah. Me too. I'm thinking that too. I'm like, Paul, you're an alcoholic. Yeah, I know. But we're with mom and dad yeah. all day. You know, this is the only way we're going to do I this. I have to drink. Yeah. yeah. I'm only an alcoholic when I'm around you, dad. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a couple of things that occur to me, when, you know, uh, about your... I don't know. People listening to this podcast, probably most of them have come to it, uh, listening to it, because they know who Paul Duane is already, I would think. And they want to hear, maybe hear more about you. And But I, I, I think it might I, – I hesitate to dwell so much on the previous uh, previ- previous part of your life, uh, because um, there are people waiting to say, now, who, wait a minute, who is Paul Duane? Uh, Paul Duane right now is mm-hmm. a photographer. He is a – um, uh, a comedian, uh, a, a, a podcaster, right. uh, a, a radio host, uh, does live shows, right. which we'll get into all of that. Um, but I, I just want to talk a little bit more about your life sure. in Logan. A couple of things occur to me. You said something about um, uh, being on your mission and be, being not a good salesperson. But to be all of those things that you are now, you have to be a good salesperson. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand. I just have to be a dick. Don't you have to no, be I'm a good <laughs> salesperson to be, a, an, to be a, an entertainer? Sort of? Maybe. I don't know. What do you think? You, well, you're a, you're a, you're, everything I can tell about you, you're a, you're a relentless self-promoter. Well, I do. You know, but you have to. Yeah. You have to. Um. And I, I don't know how well that's going. It's hard to gauge. I'm in the I'm in the thick of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, um, so I it, it, honestly it feels like it's moving slowly. Yeah. Uh, that being said, you know, if I were to go back in time five years, mm-hmm. go, go backwards five years, uh, and if you were to tell me this is what would be going on in your life right now, never would have believed you. Really? Never. It's a so, you know, if anybody were to look at what what is out there about you right now, and to hear you talk about yourself. You'd think you were the most successful person in the world. <laughs> really? I mean, so, it's, so it seems like it's going pretty well. People also watch television and read magazines. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. Uh, anyway, mm-hmm. and one other thing I want to talk about, mm-hmm. about your previous life. Faith. Right. You said, um, and I just want to talk about the nature of faith for a second. Sure. It really doesn't even have that much to do with you. But when you said you lost, the, I like the way you put it when you said, People 
um, the scientific method is, you know, you, you, you look at the evidence and then mm-hmm. you come to a conclusion. Mm-hmm. And people have, who have faith or people who are, you know, in religion, they have the, they have the conclusion already. Right. And then they try to look for things to support it. Right. And I, I, I think you're right. I, th- I know you're right about that, but I don't, sometimes don't understand that. Because really, the, the thing, when it comes right down to it, is faith. And you don't need evidence if you have faith. Interesting point. You if don't you really, really want it. You don't have to have And if evidence. you want to get down to it, in the nitty-gritty of Mormonism, in the Book of Mormon, that's what they teach. That it's not about having evidence. Because evidence becomes knowledge. Faith is you know, the hope for things not seen. To, to quote a line in the Book of Mormon. Right. And, and so there is a difference. I, maybe I should have used a different term. Uh, religion and faith are two different things, and they get used interchangeably. Uh-huh. And, and religion is the process of having a preconceived conclusion and then just looking for pieces that happen to fit it. It's, mm-hmm. it's, religion is confirmation bias. Yeah. Yeah, I just always think it's interesting in, in, uh, in the LDS church, and other uh, uh, Catholics certainly do it too, uh, there's all this, uh, you know, we have to find uh, relics to support the fact that this really happened. Right. That this really mm-hmm. happened, that the Book of Mormon really happened. We have to find a relic of, of Jesus to find out that the story mm. of Jesus is totally. really true. The sh- Shroud of Turin. You know, w- this is a relic that proves this really happened. It's physical proof. You don't need physical proof Not if you bit. have faith. Well, and here's the other thing that, that, that I've, I've, I've come to. I Anybody that has spends time much time with me knows I quote the Book of Mormon and the Bible all the time. Well. And I also think they're fake. <laughs> but I mean it when I say it. You know, I yeah. mean, it, it's like uh, the Tao Te Ching. Have you ever read that? Mm-hmm. Well, are you familiar with it? it is, yeah. So, so th- those of you that are listening that aren't familiar with the Tao Te Ching, it's, it's a 2,000, 2,500-year-old book of um, wisdom that's kind of like the, you know, it's, it's, it originates from China. It's their, uh, not their religion, because in, East, in Eastern philosophy, you don't really have religion. You have philosophy. So anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a foundation. It's a, it's a sacred text. Yeah. And it's written, supposedly written by a man named Lao Tzu. And the thing that's interesting about it is uh, scholars all agree that no one knows if Lao Tzu even lived. But that's not the point. Mm -hmm. That's not the point whether he was real or not, because the things he talks about have power and application in, in, in humanity, you know, and, and I found the same thing. The Sermon on the Mount to me is one of the most beautiful things. I think it contains all the keys of getting along well with your fellow travelers here on spaceship planet earth. I love it. Love the teachings of Jesus. And I'll also, I also don't think he was real. I mean, you don't think he, he oh, really existed. Oh, there may, you know, I have no problem with the idea of a, a wise philosopher, a person who was a very advanced human, Maybe even Jesus being an alien, down with that idea too. Hmm. Um, but in terms of uh, Son of God, I would have to say we're all sons of God, so whatever. There's no nothing special there. Savior of the world is where I put my foot down and say, no, I uh, I don't hmm. think that's necessary. I see no cosmic need for a savior. I, I, that's where I I hop off the bus. Yeah. So yeah, the, like. Uh, and there, I mean, when you look at the life and story of Jesus, there are just so many political motives attached to controlling and manipulating that story. I think it's just ridiculous for anybody to take a mainstream Christian point of view these days. Yeah, I yeah, I'm I'm yeah, I can't I can't uh, I can't fault that logic at all. So yeah, I, I'm with you. So uh, when did uh, Paul Jensen from Logan? <laughs> was it a? You're a, gonna regret saying that. I know. Whatever. Fuck it. 
when did Paul Jensen from Logan birth himself as Paul Dwayne? Um, was it a, an overnight process? Was it a quick process? Was it a, a <clears throat> slow process? How did it happen? Well, I mean, just to begin with the name, um, I you know when I, I, I helped manage a photography studio up in Logan for a while and. And uh, it was, I was working under some other guy. And when I when it came time for me to split off and, and pursue my own thing artistically, I needed a way to brand myself. So I decided Paul Dwayne would be a good way to brand my photography. I had no idea, no clue I would end up getting into comedy and spoken word work, you know, radio, things like that. No idea. Um, when, when did you know you were a photographer? Mm, you know, I always loved cameras. I was always that kid packing around a little 110 camera on field trips, you know. Um, and on my mission, I used to joke around and say, uh, you know, actually on my mission, I remember making up my mind. I said, someday I'm going to become a good enough photographer that I can come back out here and photograph some of the s- things I see on the street and make a really cool uh, book out of it. So I, I, it's just one of those things I made up my mind, like someday I'll, I'll learn to use a camera. Have you so, done that yet? <laughs> I haven't been back out yet. Yeah, I, got- I've learned to use a camera, though. But uh, yeah, that's still on the list. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, in terms of when you ask who is Paul Dwayne, I you're, you're, I know you're not just asking about the the, the silly name, um, but just the the kind of the, the it, it's a persona, yeah. You know, it's an idea in people's heads, and um, that that was probably more of a uh, that really started taking birth. So I worked as a letter carrier from 2008 to 2012 for the postal a service. Mailman. I was a mailman. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> Walking these streets. I always kind of wanted and, to be a mailman. Uh, you know, it's uh, so it's you're out in the fresh air. Uh, sometimes, yeah. Sometimes it's really nice. Yeah. Other times it's just the fucking worst thing in the whole world. Yeah. When the weather's bad. So, I had this uh, during during those from 2008 to 2012. One of the only good things about being a letter carrier is that you get to listen to a lot of things. I had you know you have 10, 12 hours a day to just listen to things. So a lot of audiobooks, mm-hmm. podcasts. And um, I had become introduced to Ron Paul, became really interested in his candidacy for the Liber- president. Libertarian. Very libertarian. Started listening to a lot of libertarian podcasts, a lot of comedians, and started to, this came on my radar quite a bit. Mm. And I made up my mind back then. I said, and I was so frustrated with how marginalized Ron Paul was by the media. I mean, it was just, it was an obvious manipulation. Obvious. And there's so many people I talk to that say, you know, I love Ron Paul, but yeah, I just can't take him seriously. You know, I just, I mean, if he has no chance, you know, if, if he had a chance, I'd vote for him. I just don't want to waste my vote. And it became a self-fulfilling prophecy fostered by the media. And I was maddened by it. And, and libertarians have a really, they're terrible at sharing their own ideas. Mm-hmm. Terrible at branding, terrible at presentation. And I just remember back then thinking someday, somehow, I don't know how, that I'm going to get involved in the media and I'm going to put the sex back in libertarianism. I'm going to do it. I figured it'd probably be through photography because that's the only thing I knew how to do. You know? You <laughs> so, could deliver pamphlets about it. Right. I, I could do it as a man. The libertarian mailman. Here. Yeah. <laughs> Paul Dwayne, libertarian mailman. Here. A have some third you. class mail. Yeah. About Which your, is kind your of liberties. a contradiction yeah. in and yeah. of itself, isn't it? Wouldn't a libertarian say that they wouldn't want a private company to deliver the mail and it, the government shouldn't do it? Right. right. Um, interestingly, uh, Libertarians shouldn't take too much exception to the postal service because it doesn't use any tax dollars. Right. So that's another. So yeah, it's self. It's it's the only self-sustaining um, government agency that's mandated by the Constitution. That's the other thing well, of shit. all the agencies out there. The Constitution mandates uh, practically none of them. Post office is one that is mandated. I by know, the and and uh, they ha- then they and they have to support themselves. Mm-hmm. The the Congress can tell them what to do. Yep. 
but they don't give them any money. Yep. It's, it's real weird. It's really stupid. Mm-hmm. And I, I, for one, support the U.S. mail. I think I, I like the U.S. mail, and I think that they should uh, get, get every break possible. Right. Anyway. It's extraordinary that you can spend 50 cents, I know. put on a little piece of folded paper, and four days later ends up in the other side of the country. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. So, anyway, that was when a lot of ideas started hatching, and uh, that's when I started getting into stand-up comedy. That was my dirty secret. Mm-hmm. How, didn't, didn't how want, did you do that? Oh, I just started going to open mic nights by myself. Sit in the back of the room, drink a beer, Lake. watch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, so, some of the people, you know, that's when I met Jay Whitaker, Levi Rounds, a lot, a lot of the guys that you know. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, yeah, it was um, from there it turned into a buddy of mine and I uh, would go out and do comedy several nights a week. For about a year, we were hitting a real hard and we'd come home at night and just get super drunk and stoned until like five in the morning and just conjure up all the, you know, the, the quintessential stoner conversations. We should do this. We should do that. Oh, my, oh my God, that'd be amazing. And I had this idea and thought, you know, someday I want to do a show. I want to do a, something that's kind of like a late night talk show, kind of, but something with a little more substance to it. I want it to have a purpose. You know, I, I really believe that the best way to inspire new ideas in people is not through debate. I mean, you start a debate with somebody, everybody's right. And nobody comes away wrong. Everyone's always right. You just, the only thing a debate does is prove to you how big of a dick the other person is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's silly. Yeah. Um, but you get people in a party. You get people, you entertain people, show them a good time, show them examples of what other forms of thinking look like. Let them, in, let them introduce themselves to it. Now we're talking. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to create a, a show that would be a kind of a multidisciplinary thing, music, um, spoken word, interviews, comedy, all kinds of things. And uh, I wanted to do that. But I thought, you know, I'm not going to do that for a while. I've got to become a good writer before I can do any of that. You know, it's going to be five, seven years off in the future. It's and, a big uh, vision. It, it is. It was lofty. Mm-hmm. Um, a few months later, I, I was at a party and got asked uh, about... Uh, some of the guys from Metro Bar said, hey, why don't you come over and uh, host an open mic night for us? And I said, I was just drunk enough to be honest and said, man, that sounds really boring. I don't want to do that. But I have this other idea. And I, I pulled out this idea that was my secret, told them about it, and um, they loved it. So, uh, kids, don't drink. Just don't do drugs. Don't, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you, might, <laughs> you might get thrown into a situation you're not ready for. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, like premarital sex. <laughs> Or chasing or, your dreams. Or hosting a show. That, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it, uh, I went over talked to Jeff Hacker the next day. He said, oh, my gosh, that's a great idea. If anybody can do it, you can. 33 days later, I'm on stage with Rocky Anderson, Jake Chan, and uh, the, All-American Hit, the American Hitmen, great band from Salt Lake, and doing my first show. And it was a huge success. I had 120 people show up, hmm. which is unheard of for somebody, an unknown comic yeah you know it's great yeah yeah it was amazing it was, it was revelatory and so from there i just kind of i just kept going and things have evolved and grown and branched off and uh yeah. where, where where is it now do you do the show regularly i do um it hops venues a bit depending on what experience i'm trying to create so uh I, for the past while i've been doing them at the photo collective studios with a few exceptions that's down on second second south, south yeah. 561 west is yeah. that where you do your photography most of the time oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a real creative home base for me. They're mm-hmm. uh, an amazing group of people there. It's a great space. and uh, But I'm probably going to start doing some stuff at Club 50 West. 
Yeah. Where our studios are. Yep. Yeah, Good I, was over there with, I was over there with Carrie the other day doing a show with uh, Chris Hollifield, and I talked to the manager again, and he, the manager was uh, very interested in discussing getting my show over there. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you do it how often? Usually once a month. Once a month? Yeah, with some exceptions, but mm-hmm. that's that's the, the target. So um, uh, talk about Let's the... Maybe, <clears throat> maybe yeah. we should take a break for a couple of minutes well, before your hamburger is cold, yeah, and, uh, and then we'll uh, continue. Okay. Uh, what do you, do you have? Oh, you Rush. You really like Rush. We could play a Rush song. <laughs> What's your favorite Rush song? Yeah, favorite. Tom Sawyer. Okay, here we is go. Is it really? Yeah, it really is. That, okay. I well. want I want the lyrics to Tom Sawyer on my headstone if I ever die. Sawyer, man, modern day warrior. How long? Of, how how many times have I heard that song? Not enough. <laughs> <laughs> so there was actually a new Rush album mm-hmm. uh, pretty recently, wasn't there? Yes. And it, I feel like it's the best thing they've done in twenty years. It was phenomenal. They one of the things I love about Rush. Here's a, a group of guys that could easily just keep playing the hits because they've got a fat catalog, you know, sure. and. Uh, but on every album, they're they're pushing their sound, they're progressing, and on this on this latest record, uh, Clockwork Angels, they they did things they've never done before. You know, they they it was both uh, heavier than anything they've done before, and also more ethereal and beautiful and and light and sensitive than anything they've done before. I mean, they really stretched their wings. When I mean, I I don't know any other bands that are at that point in their career that are still progressing and and really exploring new sounds. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's go back to Paul Dwayne, yeah. uh, his uh, career. Your, uh, career, you're a, you you are a musician as well. Uh, do you you've played in bands? Mm-hmm. Do you still play in bands? Uh, not at the moment. That's going to change soon. Mm-hmm. Definitely going to get back to it. What so, What do you play? I play bass guitar and trumpet. Uh, and uh, I mean that would be could be a b- vital part of the Paul Dwayne show, the house orchestra. You know? <laughs> and, and I actually thought of it, you yeah. know, but that I felt like that'd be wear, wearing too many hats. Well, it would be nice, I think, if you had a house band and sat in with them a little. Oh, I would sit in periodically for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, and, and now there's, um, let's see, there's, there's, uh, so there's Paul, Paul Dwayne, the live show, Paul, Paul Dwayne, the stand-up comic, uh, Paul, Paul Dwayne, the flamethrower, Paul Dwayne, the lunchbox. <laughs> <Paul>. <laughs> well, you, you really are an aggressive self-promoter. <clears throat> you, I, again, I will say this to look at your your website. Uh, one would assume that you are Paul Dwayne, the international sensation. Hmm. Uh, it, it it comes across that well. Okay. Um, well, thank you. Uh, yeah, and, and and I think the reality of it is it's not quite that good. Oh God, no. But it's <laughs> but but it's but it's uh, but it but uh, but that's okay. Yeah. Uh, it, it it you have a good presence there, um, and and it. I guess the the uh, uh, 
the, the intention is to grow into that. Oh, for sure. Uh, do you have a, a long-range plan to do that? Yeah, definitely. And, and I, I have listeners all around the world. Uh, they're just small numbers in different countries. You know. you're, bro- you're doing a show now. You were on uh, K-Talk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for a while. And I, I still do a show. I co-host a show out there once a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm, I'm distancing myself from that operation. So now you're, on, you're doing an Internet deal, right? Yeah. So, so the way this whole thing evolved, uh, two years ago I started my show at K-Talk. And um, I would just record my shows. Of course, they broadcast at K-Talk, but then I'd record them, edit out the commercials, and then put them on as a podcast on mm-hmm. iTunes. Mm-hmm. And so I've had a podcast that's existed for two years. And during the course of that, I, uh, I picked up a couple of syndications, other like internet radio networks that, that pick up my podcast feed and broadcast it out to their people mm-hmm. in a couple different formats. One of them... Um, I even I, I run side by side with uh, Penn Gillette. He has a show on this particular network, mm-hmm. and they they broadcast our stuff via satellite over North America, South America, and Africa. Mm. And so, I mean, it's it's getting out there into some godforsaken places. Yeah. Uh, uh, do you do you hear from those people? Yeah, I mean, periodically I, I hear from people all over the place. I was talking to a listener the other day from Amsterdam. About, that's, about politics. That's fun. That's fun. That's now, now is uh, and, and I haven't heard your podcast. Is it political? Mostly political in nature. Do you do a libertarian, uh, a lot of libertarian stuff, or what do you do? I consider it to be a libertarian lifestyle show. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, I, and I, sometimes I will get very specifically political. But my 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 feeling is, <clears throat> you know, my mission is to create content that inspires people to live more authentically. I like to create conversations and inspire people to live more authentically. I feel like my photography is based on that ethos. What does that mean to you? Live more authentically. I hear people say that. Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you? That means to detach from all the ideas of what other people have about you, what other people think you should be. You know, to like really discover who you are at at an essential level, what what your purpose in life is. And and sometimes we, we have to make up our purpose. And I think that's the beautiful part. We can decide. You can just fucking decide what your purpose is. Mm-hmm. I, I think in that way, we are all kind of the, the gods of our own little universes. I mean, I'm not saying you need to go to some sp- spiritualist of some sort and find out what your calling in life is. Just decide. You, know, you just, did You did it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just decide. What are you passionate about? What's the thing that keeps you up all night long? Well, there you go. And, and, and so to peel and in, in living that purpose, a lot of us will find there are a lot of layers we need to get away from. There's family expectations, social expectations, you know, just different things, expectations we have about ourselves that might be limiting beliefs Mm -hmm. and to peel all that stuff away so we can like really live in the, you know, the purest form of who, you know, what we're here to do. Have you you done that? Are you in the process of doing it? Oh, yeah. And how how did it change? How has it changed you? I think it's a process that never ends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm absolutely in the thick of it. You know, I, uh, my, my, I think my, my most recent encounter with that, my most recent growth spurt came at Burning Man this last, uh, this last month. You're a big, uh, proponent of going to Burning Man. Yeah. You've been two or three times. Twice. twice. Mm-hmm. You're a big proponent of that event. Love it. Why? Because it helps you do to live authentically. Somehow. It does. It does. Yeah. Um, God, we, I hope we have a few more hours to answer that question. So, Burning Man to me is <clears throat> it. Uh, it's incredibly artistically inspiring. Sure, it's sure. It, the pictures you see from it are certainly. 
I, I mean, I look at some of the stuff that people do, and I just right. go, what? Jesus. Here's the thing. I wow. mean, we live in a we live in a time when profit motive is is king. You know, yeah. people don't do things unless they're getting paid a buck for it. And here we have a situation out in the middle of the desert. There are no resources out there, no utilities, no electricity, no power, no nothing. Money not allowed there, right? No trade. Yeah, no trade out there. And you have people that go to insane lengths to create these enormous art projects mm. and bring them out there at their own personal expense for people to enjoy and then to burn it down in five days. Yeah. And there's something about being present to something like, to, to a magnificent piece of art that you know will only exist for five days that did something to me. Because, I mean, in, in the default world, the way we talk, that's kind of what we, we burners call the right, you know, regular world. It's really easy to be always in the living in the past or the future. But when you're standing in front of something that is unlike anything you've seen before and it's massive and just it, it, hard to understand how it even exists out there and it's going to burn down in three days. That has a way of pulling your attention into the present in a way that nothing else has in my life. Mm. You just don't, and there's so much of it. You don't have time to be dwelling on the past or the future. You're just completely consumed with the beauty and the grandeur of all these creations that's right in front of you. And you can never see it all. And that presents a whole other set of dilemmas that would prove to be a pretty big learning experience for me. And how, how much does the drugs have to do with it? <laughs> Are you a cop? No. no. Okay. Here's the deal, Bill. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not much. No, I mean, I, uh, drug, I mean, I would say the heat has to do a lot more with it than the drugs. I mean, there's a lot of heat, but there, but there are a lot of drugs out there. There are, but just about as many as there are at home. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, not at my house. <laughs> Speak for yourself, Paul. <laughs> Uh, don't do drugs, kids. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, I would say not, I would say it has nothing to do with the drugs. Mm. Um, the, an, another thing that really hit me about, uh, one of the big lessons I took from Burning Man, you know, we're a generation that is plagued by choice or ideas of choice. We have Tinder, we have Facebook, we have this, we have that. We have just a million billion options for interaction right in front of us all the time. We have 300 channels on that damn TV up mm. there. It's relentless. Yeah. And out at out the burn, you get out there and you – it's a city of 70,000 people. It's enormous. It's, geographically, it's about the same size as Salt Lake City. Black Rock City. Black Rock City. Yep, one of the like, five biggest cities in Nevada when it's up and running. Um, and you get out there and there's so much art and so, much, uh, so many possible human interactions. There's so much to do. I realized I had two choices out there. I could ride my bike around as fast as possible and just sample as many things as quickly as I could and have a lot of fleeting experiences with a lot of things and still miss about 80% of what was out there. Or I could slow down a little, allow myself to sink more deeply into what's in front of me and have some really profound experiences and miss about 90% of Burning Man. Mm. And I like to do, do, to do that. And um, that was a, a powerful thing for me. And I, that, that was my first year, and going out there the second year, I thought I had this whole fear of missing out thing nailed. Uh, it turns out it's, it was still still a battle. Mm -hmm. um, I did better with it. It was a little less uh, emotionally trying to just, you know, to... A friend of mine pointed something out one day. He said, you know what? On the other side of the city, there's amazing shit going on. Mind-blowing shit happening on the other side of the city. But you know what? 50 feet over there, same thing. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Mind-blowing stuff happening right there. So what are you going to do? 
you take pictures out there, mm-hmm. and people can see your pictures at uh, pauldwayne.net. Dot net. Yep. Uh, uh, can you suggest some, uh, because... Uh, can you suggest where people can go if they've never seen Burning Man pictures, uh, other places they can go and see? Because I've seen some phenomenal. My favorite Burning Man photographer is a guy named Trey Ratcliffe. His his photographs capture the spirit of, of, of the burn so well. I mean, they are just magnificent. And his his name is spelled Trey, T-R-E-Y, T-R-E-Y Ratcliffe, R-A-T-C-L-I-F-F-E. Just phenomenal. Hmm. Uh, otherworldly stuff, yeah. Uh, Paul Duane decided at some point to cut his hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So did you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you had really long blonde hair. Yeah. Any any particular reason behind that? Uh, what was going on there? I just got kind of tired of it. Yeah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It was just time for change. Uh, and then at some point, Paul Duane uh, decided that it would be a, a good thing to wear uh high heels and uh n- nylon hose mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh uh sh- you wear shorts when you do that yeah some t- uh, tailored shorts and uh you got you got some pretty uh pretty nice gams thank you sir <laughs> um and um and you wear high i don't know what kind of high heels they are they're pretty they're pretty chunky yeah like yeah, chunky, yeah. they're not stilettos. They're no, real chunky kind of five, five inch with a one inch platform. Yeah, yeah they're almost manly high heels, kind of. And that's the glad you pointed that out, Bill. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for noticing. Yeah, because yeah. it's funny because uh, uh, when I'm out, you know, girls will often be like, "Oh, I got to take you shoe shopping. You got to try these and these and these." And I'm like, "No, no, you don't get it. Yeah. No, 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 no. That's way too girly. That fuck that shit. Mm-hmm. No." Yeah, you uh, uh, now, said the guy in nylon. So, so now there are there are they nylons or pantyhose? Same thing. And in, and in Europe we, they call them tights. The, oh, they're tights. They're, it, so it, they it, really it, are. They're tights. Uh, yeah. it, 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 you're not wearing garters. No, 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 no. You gotta try it. Well, I haven't, <laughs> so I should. I'm, I said that like I'd done. May, it, maybe but. for Rocky Horror this year, you know. Uh, so wh- where and why did that come about? It, did it come about as a to, as a statement or just to be funny or shocking or no no I um you know when I was younger uh, I discovered that I just liked liked to wear them I liked the way it looked liked the way it feel liked the way it feels and uh, are you wearing silken uh, under things as well no uh, what are you asking are you wearing panties hmm guess you'll have to find out. Or maybe not. Well, I don't, <laughs> I don't. Well, who knows? Someday we might be that close after a couple of cocktails. Right, right. You know, you never. We'll know. We'll see. We'll see. You never know. Never say never, Bill. You have. You have. You do have very uh, lovely legs. Oh, thank you. They're shapely. Mm-hmm. Uh, you shave them, I assume. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. meticulously. I, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I guess I noticed that. You have to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, what do you mean when you were younger? You oh yeah, yeah. When you, I was a kid, that I just discovered that I liked that, and then it became a deep dark secret for years. You know, that no, you liked wearing high heels? No, no. It's more the more the the tights. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, little known secret. I guarantee you, there's a portion of your listeners right now that are um, blushing real hard because they do too. Sure. Well, it's, I, a, it's a there's a whole underground. Yeah. And whenever I go out dressed like that, I have guys that'll either approach me directly and and mm-hmm. basically out themselves, or uh, you can just tell because 
the, the way they watch what I'm doing. Yeah, I mean, they, uh, we're we're talking, and that's why I asked about because I know like there are men who are just perfectly heterosexual. Oh yeah, uh, straight men, but they like wearing like women's underpants. Right, that's instance. really common. Yeah, super super common. They like just the feel of yeah. them, or, and, yeah, yeah. It, and it kind of makes them feel horny or something. Something like that. Yeah. So, you know, it, it started as something like that, and then, um, you know, I started, uh, I, I dressed up one time, uh, it, it started as a Halloween costume. You know, mm-hmm. that was like kind of the first public outing, mm-hmm. and uh, that, that was great. And then it turned into, hey, let's go to Area 51 fetish night. All right, hey, I know a costume I'm going to wear, you know. Mm-hmm. And then it turned into uh, going to a birthday party and, and uh, having, like, great time with that. And uh, then it just kind of evolved, and when it came time to do the show... I had to make a decision how I was going to present myself on stage. I'm like, well, I could wear a suit like Johnny, you know, or uh, I could do this. And good, a good choice. Thanks. And so when you do your live show, that's pretty much how you. you oh yes, you always dress that way, almost every time. Yeah. yeah, it's. I think it's an excellent choice. Thanks. Stand. Do you when you do stand up? Do you dress? You know, I, I've only done stand up dressed up in, in uh, tights and heels one time, and it was a, quite a long time ago. Um, I no 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 I I lied I lied the last. The last couple times I we did won't have any lying on this podcast, right? Jesus, Christ. edit that out. Um, yeah, I actually have. Yeah, the last couple times I did headlining shows, I I wore tights and heels on stage, and it, it worked really well. I think. Uh, yeah. I think it's. Uh, I mean, to me, maybe it's because when I, f- I think the first time I met you was at the Cat uh, Palmer. It was, yeah. I mean, I knew of you, mm-hmm. and I'd uh, seen your work online. Uh, but that's the first time I met you, and that's to me that is Paul. I think it should be your deal, that's, right? That's your that is that is Paul Dwayne the performer, right? It's worked well, you know. And and one of the things that's been fascinating about this bill, and this ties into a question you asked earlier about living authentically, mm-hmm. it's been an interesting thing to take what was one of my greatest fears and insecurities growing up, and it's turned it into one of my greatest assets as an adult. Mm. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, it was one of those things. Unfortunately, that- I can't do that with bedwetting. <laughs> <laughs> I have faith in you, Bill. I yeah. have faith. In you. You're a creative no, guy. I don't okay? think. I, I want to see this. I just don't. <laughs> Bed the bill. Bill the bedwetter. May- maybe I could do some stand up and at at the end of the act, just wet, wet your pants yourself. <laughs> <laughs> this is my. This- you could write a one man show about it. Right. I'm into that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Perform as the bed from the point of view yeah, of the wet bed. That was my biggest, you know, insecurity right, right. As, a, as a child. Oh, you're lucky. Bedwetter. Yeah. God. Yeah. Easy. God, it was awful. <laughs> it was awful. How, how old were you when you stopped? I'll bet I About was. 25? 15, no, I'll bet I, but I bet I was uh, 12, 13. I mean, it went on a long time. Oh, okay. Time. So and, that, I mean, it was something I worried about. Probably in, even into my early teens. Right. You know, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was bad. <laughs> it was bad. I mean, you know, you just, you didn't, like, if uh, on those occasions when you had a sleepover or oh, something. God. Oh, God. Or at yeah. scout camp or something. Oh, yeah. You stay awake all night. Right. Just to be safe. You, you, can't, go to, you can't go to sleep. Would you drink coffee and that make it worse? Uh, no, you don't drink. drink. You, you just you just stay awake and with terror. Know. Oh God, it was awful. <laughs> and you fall asleep and you wake up. And, oh, oh. Damn it! <laughs> and then and then when you're a little kid and you get because yeah. you have an abusive father, you know who knocks you around for it, right? You know, and so you try to sneak your bedding and oh, oh hide it. Then there's a whole uh, other set of neuroses yeah. that probably came with that. Yeah, yeah it's terrible. Should we play psychologist? 
<laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you Bill, are. You Bill. almost were, Doctor oh, Jensen. Almost, almost. Yeah, Bill, yeah. tell me more about your father. Yeah, no, we don't want to. <laughs> we really don't need <laughs> that. You really don't. It, now, when this, you're on my show, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, if you okay. want to talk about it, I'll talk right, about right. it then. We'll talk about it then. But, Bedwetting. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so but the uh, but, so I think that the uh, the uh, the heels and that uh, yeah. the, the the hose that looks great. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Uh, keep it up. Now let's see. There's one other thing I wanted. Oh, the photography. Oh yeah. That's how you pretty much make your living at this point, right? Yeah, it's kind of half and half. You yeah. know, I, I make a little money on the show and a little money at photography, and that's how I do uh, it. I plug that because, uh, you know, for whatever it's worth, if people are interested in right. just straight-ahead p- uh, portrait photography, wedding photography, I, you know, the you only, do it. The only thing I, really, the thing I really specialize in is boudoir. Yeah, I looked at that's, some of that. that that's my thing. And pretty, se- pretty sexy thanks. stuff. And and I'll be really honest with you, I'm only in it for the money. Yeah, I'm expensive and I'm good, and um, yeah. So uh, get ready to pay up. And <laughs> I mean, I mean, if you want sexy pictures of yourself, uh, now all I saw were women. Right. I I've get, photographed a few guys. Mm-hmm. Um, there there are a couple guys on my site. Must be guys who want to do it occasionally. There are. Sure. But uh, now I'm the opposite. I'll come take your boudoir photos for free. <laughs> I don't. I'm not in it for the money, but and they're not, not going to be good. And they're not. Gonna, <laughs> they're going to be awful. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. have you ever? Uh, uh, you know, um, uh, have you ever thought about? Uh, I guess there really isn't a market that much. I mean, we see Playboy magazine uh, oh, no longer going to. God, God rest. Well, and oh, it's. I mean, rest in peace, Playboy. well, Playboy magazine has not. I mean, it really hasn't been relevant for a few years anyway. Yeah. yeah. And this is just signify. It's not going to be around anymore. Right. I think Congress should get involved and make them keep in subsidize the, the, it. I think we should subsidize Playboy magazine. Make them keep the nude photos. Yes, yes, at how, least in the print magazine. I think Congress yeah. should do this. Yeah. How big a an influence was Playboy magazine in your life? Oh my a, god! As a young man, huge. Yeah, huge. Yeah. He, I mean, it, it taught me everything I know about what a normal woman should look like, Bill. Well, I mean they. They didn't look that normal, did they? <laughs> they were pretty airbrushed and, uh, you know. I don't know. I just try to date women that look like that. Yeah, <laughs> I just try to fit my reality to that. See, this is where Playboy became my religion. You know, I, I, that's the preconceived <laughs> conclusion. And now I just try to fit my reality into it. Do you remember the first yeah. time you saw Playboy magazine? Um, let me think about that. Yeah. I remember the first time I saw I found you one in found the street. Them. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I remember harvesting many in that sort of manner. Yeah. Dumpsters, yeah. rivers, you know, like street porn. You, you yeah. become a yeah. damn archaeologist. I think I see flesh printed on a page. Yep. We're going in. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you'd find them in. And really, my, a friend of mine and I found it in the street and yeah. uh, took it. You know, took it home and tried to hide it. But my mother found it because oh, yeah. we were giggling about it. And, you know, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> well, let's Nothing. take a look at this here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, boys. Let's have a talk about this, shall we? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, the, uh, you know, Playboy, yeah, Hugh, I admire Hugh Hefner immensely because here's a guy who had an idea, a world that never existed, yeah. and uh, just a guy from Illinois, and he created it. Yeah. yeah. Well, How many people do that? Yeah. He, he, he saw uh, that there were, I mean, there were pinup magazines and things right. like that, but they were kind of these unreal kind of creations and he said i'm going to take that idea but it's going to be the girl next door right the girl next door and we're going to make her naked mm-hmm. in the magazine mm-hmm. it's a girl that my and uh, 
I mean, men's magazines before that where they were either, they were either pinups or they were, if you really went to the dirty, dirty ones, they were strippers and kind of ugly, sure. you know, not. Not they very, were very they, pretty. They weren't very pretty, and they were they take their clothes off, and eh. he took the pretty girl next door and yeah. said, "Take off your clothes." <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know. And there it was. God bless him. And man, he made a lot of money doing made it. it right? o- made it okay, and and then it becomes also important First Amendment issues. And, oh right, um, I huge, mean, huge in that regard. Hustler and Playboy really pushed what the First Amendment meant and did. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's gone. It's gone now. Ah, it's, yeah. it's it Playboy. It really, it really. Yeah. I mean, what makes Playboy different now? Nothing. It's to me, Playboy at this point is a tradition. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's and and their their whole argument of well, you know, porn is just so easy to find online. I'm like, I know, but that wasn't the point. Yeah, because the other, it's your porn we're looking for. I mean, your art. Yeah, that's what I meant. Your art, and uh, I want the bunny on it. And but those guys, I mean. From a photography perspective, Arnie Freytag, one of their main photographers, I've you know I've read countless interviews with him and seen his setup. This guy is a master. This guy, when it comes to photography, um, his he is so so good. Did you know the centerfold has no touch up done to it? No, I would assume I would have assumed it would right. be airbrushed. It's and, not. The centerfold yeah. is all makeup, wardrobe, and clothing and lighting. And lighting. Yeah. That's it. It's pure. That's a mm. pure photograph, mm. which I, I find incredibly inspiring. I, I try to emulate that in my own work. I, I don't rely too much on editing. Mm. I, I just really try to make my women look their best right there in camera. Do you do everything digital, I would assume? For the most part, yeah. No, yeah. Nobody does film anymore, nah, right? Here and there. I mean, at the studio, we have a, we have a dark room, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I shoot a little film once in a while, mm-hmm. but it's mainly just for, like, very specific fine art applications. Mm. Uh, Paul Duane. Uh, people want to find everything about you, pauldwayne.net. Yep, that's P A U L D U A N E. That'll lead you to the photography, contacts. Yep, everything. Everything's there. The show, when you can find the show, when yep. it's on, where it's being done, all of that kind of stuff. Yep, all the links to to uh, iTunes, Stitcher, it's all there. Uh, pleasure meeting you. I'm glad we got a chance to meet at the uh, the shoot for the uh, Ten Commandments photo. Oh yeah, Last Supper photo. Uh, the last. <laughs> Ten Commandments. <laughs> Sorry, it's late in the day for me. <laughs> uh, the Last Supper photo right. that Cat Palmer did. That was great. Uh, that was nice to meet Cat Palmer too. I, this is the first time I'd ever met her as well. Yeah, she's fantastic. She, she was says also to a tell guest you on hi. this show a couple weeks ago, yeah. so you can go back and listen to that episode. Yeah, listen to Cat Palmer. She was two 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 episodes ago. She was on uh, the Let's yeah. Go Eat show. Um, she she an interesting photographer in her own right. Definitely uh, does some interesting stuff and um, and check out that uh, photograph of the Last Supper with the I had no idea she called me ten badasses uh, or twelve badasses <laughs> in Salt Lake. You know, I thought why why am I in there? Of course you're in it, Bill. Of course I, I I know that when you're you, you lose track of you and what people just, think of you. You know, but I've got to say it's it's an honor to be here. You know, I, I grew up listening to you and and. Uh, you know, it, it's it's really cool to be here having this conversation. Well, it was funny when I listened to I did listen to the podcast that uh, Chris Hollifield did with everybody. It was kind of embarrassing. Why is that? <laughs> well, because because well, now I sound weird, but uh, I mean, everybody was saying, "Well, it's really great to be here with all of these badasses." You know, like Bill Allred. <laughs> and I went, and I'm going, huh? <laughs> Real? Well, huh? 
What? <laughs> I mean, so humble, like Bill. So, so humble. See, look, like I'm blushing now. Right, right. you are. He really I am. Is. I'm you guys. Re- he is blushing. I'm blushing. blushing. It's real. And I was blushing when I was listening to that. I'm just going. <laughs> What? Come on. Now, it does play on a loop in his car now. Yeah, so, I do. Right. <laughs> I've listened to it about 20 it's times. It's like his motivational so. speech now. Yeah. yeah, every morning. I'm a badass. <laughs> anyway, Paul, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Bill. And uh, I'll, I hope to return the favor. For sure. All right. Thank you. All right, that's it. The Let's Go Eat Show. Thanks, Dylan, for producing the show. Thanks to uh, Poplar Street uh, Pub for uh, having us here for lunch. Uh, 220. 220, indeed. Yeah, Second West. Right? Yeah. Sure. Second West. 222nd West, Poplar Street Pub. We do lots of events here with uh, X96 as well. Uh, that's it for the Let's Go Eat show. Remember, if you're pouring the drinks, I was thinking of changing the slogan. It's, uh, you know, it's if you're pouring the drinks, uh, make mine a double. But somebody said, you know, if, if you're pouring the drinks, just leave the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't know. We'll think about it. If you're pouring the drinks, make mine a double. Perfect.